Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me! Hello and welcome to episode 137 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Long from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Dave Brown. Dave helped start a zine called Muddle, co-founded Better Looking Records, did some marketing and PR under the name Holiday Matinee for some of your favorite bands, and he now lives in Seattle and works at Microsoft. Not a bad ride for someone that was there in the moment and took advantage of what was around him. Truly great chat with Dave, with someone deeply connected to the inner workings of the scene and how it all connects. Thanks, Dave, for coming on. And thank you to all the Patreon supporters out there. It makes doing this podcast so much easier to do. If you want to donate, head on over to patreon.com slash washed up email. That's patreon.com slash washed up email. Thank you again to everybody out there that supports. It means a lot. This is episode 137 of the Washed Up Email podcast with Dave Brown from Muddle Zine, Better Looking Records, Holiday Matinee, and a little place called Microsoft. God, I, don't even, I was just on tour. Um, I thought for some reason it'd be a good idea to, to be similar to a band, but not be in a band, but do a fanzine tour with Muddle. And uh, we went on tour in the West Coast, and we visited uh, a bunch of record labels that had bought ads with us just so we could like meet the people that we were talking to on the phone or email. And he was one of them, and that's how we met. That's so cool. So with Muddle... You had started that in Ithaca with with Ron Richards, definitely. We were we were both uh, both attending Ithaca College at the time, and um, we uh, we actually became roommates. And um, just neither one of us were into like Greek life uh, in college, or uh, neither one of us were big like sports fans. Um, and so we pretty much spent like our weekends uh, at Kinko's. Uh, while everybody else was out like partying and we would just be making zines and stealing, uh, you know, copies from the, off the printer and stuff and supplies. 
because uh, we had a buddy who worked there. Um, so yeah, we we we, uh, we started a zine. Yeah, you know, we were both like heavily into music and pop culture, and just um, you know, we each had our own style. And Ron grew up in Long Island and was exposed to a lot of like indie hardcore bands and emo bands. And um, I was uh, coming from the suburbs of Jersey and uh, was playing in like pop punk bands and uh, had done some touring and met a bunch of other bands. And, you know, I was always, I think both of us were always surrounded by, by zines and, you know, physical printed zines. Um, and they always called it, you know, fanzines because we didn't want to be back then associated with magazines, which was like the enemy, you know, it was like, fuck those guys, you know, we're totally punk rock. We're doing it on our own. We're broke as shit, but we're going to find a way because we absolutely love you know, the scene and we want to be able to like help support these bands by just giving them added exposure into an audience that probably, you know, maybe was familiar, but not too familiar or just didn't know the backstory of a lot of these bands. Um, and so that's what we did. And, um, it was purely done out of passion, especially early on. And we had fucking no idea what we were doing. Uh, but yeah, that's what you do. You just learn. And, you know, the beauty of the, the scene back then, and this is probably like, 97 maybe 96 um we we just were surrounded by other awesome you know uh by inspiration all around us and and it wasn't online yet it was all just you know by going to other you know punk rock shows or hardcore shows and being able to be exposed at the merch booth to like uh punk planet was a great fanzine or uh maximum rock and roll is ones that we both grew up on you know, book your own fucking life was a way for you to actually go on tour and book shows in like all over the country, like underground shows and living rooms, and VFW halls. This is how we did it back then. And so there was no sort of manual for how to do a zine. And that was kind of nice. You kind of did it on your own. And so we just started reviewing, uh, you know, some of our favorite records. And then uh, we would, you know, figure out how to make a, a fanzine in terms of like, uh, I think Ron was using uh, PageMaker or maybe Quark back then on, on our like Gateway 2000 computers and, uh, you know, our big ass monitors. And uh, yeah, so like, you know, while other people were probably out, you know, exploring Ithaca or, you know, playing in, in leagues or sports or, or having Greek life, you know, we were holed up in our, in our dorm rooms, um, either putting together this, this zine and doing writing and, and uh, you know, take, you know, finding photographers that could take some photos and that wanted to be a part of this uh, and then putting it together. You know, we were learning like, Hey, how do we get this thing printed? What are the prices for local printers or is there somewhere we should mail our stuff to? And, and that's what we did. We just sort of found it all on our own and used the resources around us. How did you, did you, was it cold, you know, uh, letters to those labels and says, please send those. Or were you guys driving to these, uh, places all over New York and New Jersey? So the, like the history there is, um, I had actually started a, my own zine, uh, in high school, my senior year. And, um, I was like interning for a, a law office, like just a single guy who had his own firm. Um, he's kind of crazy, but he totally trusted me. And, and, um, um, I'm super grateful for that because like late night, I would like sneak back into his office because he had a photocopy machine and some office supplies. And really that's back then that's all you needed. And that's where it, that's all you needed, you know, some markers, some, some scissors and some scotch tape and, and so, uh, and the photocopy machine. And that's where like, I just started reviewing like 
bands that I loved. And at the time it was like Green Day and the Queers and Screeching Weasel and, you know, a lot of the pop punk stuff coming out of Lookout Records in, in uh, Berkeley, California. I was just really obsessed with that stuff. And, and so I didn't have any contacts at labels back then. That was just me sort of on my own writing about bands that I thought were cool that I thought no one else knew on the East Coast. And not many people did at the time, you know, Green Day wasn't, you know, a household name at the time. And, um, I just happened to get exposed to these bands. And when I did, I just fell so hard into that hole of like punk rock and especially the, the pop punk scene. And so by the time college hit, I was still doing a bunch of my zines, um, all photocopy type stuff. But when I met Ron is really when things started to really go to that next level. And he and I together, you know, took it to newsprint and then started taking it more seriously. Um, he had some contacts that he knew and, and vice versa, just from building up and going to shows and meeting people and through other friends who were in bands that were on record labels. And that's how you, that's how it all happened. It was just sort of the networking of it all. It was that face to face that means more than if you just email or f- I, Facebook message. And I know that's still today. Like you, if you have one face to face meeting, it's almost like you had 50 emails back and forth. Oh, absolutely. I mean, once we got the zine going, we made a point to like, just go to like all of our favorite shows. And then we would post up and like put the zine everywhere. And we were pretty much giving it out for free at the time. Um, we had no idea about the business side of the strategy, you know, uh, that it was just a hobby to us really, you know, we were still in school and, and that was our priority. And then this was sort of like our side hustle, but it was becoming so all consuming, um, in a good way. And like each time we release an issue, um, we got so excited and then more of our friends wanted to get involved. Some were photographers, others were, you know, uh, writers. And then we started sort of indirectly learning the business side of it about, you know, selling ads to records. Cause we saw what other zines were doing. We were like, Oh shit, we should come up with like a rate card. And, you know, uh, <laughs> we that. just sort of asked, and we just sort of asked around and we were like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could actually like make enough money from the ads to pay for the printing? Like, <laughs> holy fuck, that would be awesome. Or man, wouldn't it be awesome to actually pay for a photograph for one of our friends who was a photographer? Like that would be incredible. And, uh, and that's where it all happened. And so every issue eventually started, you know, making money because we were going to these shows and we were making contacts and we were and we would give the touring bands like a box full of these zines and say, Hey, do you mind just putting these on your, your merch table when you go to your shows? And they were all really pretty into it because we were also either interviewing that band and featuring them in the zine or, you know, we'd review their record. And that's really how, how it got out there. Just starting from, you know, zero. Oh, for sure. I mean, literally zero. I mean, even when we were like in our heyday of like pumping them out, and starting to do color, you know, and like fancier covers. And, you know, we actually even one issue put a, uh, a flexi record, you know, one of the old school ones. Yeah. With, with the uh, Frodis and, um, you know, you put the, like the two coins on the record. So, so it stays on the, on the turntable. I mean, we were just having so much fun and by then it was paying for itself, which was awesome, but we never had enough money to like, basically we would come out with a, a new issue. We had almost, just enough money to take our small little crew 
of friends who were helping with us. We would always go down to the same Chinese restaurant in downtown Ithaca and to their Sunday buffet that was like six bucks, all you can eat. And that was just enough money to cover all of us to get a free meal. And we thought we were the biggest rock stars ever because we were making enough money to feed ourselves one meal at one of our favorite restaurants. And it was awesome. Well, did you guys do this after you were out of Ithaca? Yeah, so we graduated. I graduated in '98, and uh, and Ron graduated uh, a year later. But um, uh, we, I moved right after uh, the summer of '98. Um, I convinced my roommate at the time uh, up in school um, to drive me cross country uh, to San Diego, and so um, I sold my drum kit for gas money, and we packed up everything. Pretty much sold everything else I had. Uh, packed up his van and, and he drove me to to uh, San Diego and I was really thinking I was going to go to grad school out there uh, but I couldn't afford tuition as an out-of-state resident by the time I got there and so Ron and I were still going with the zine and we were working on an, another issue it it certainly got very difficult to keep that going but we did release I think about two more issues and probably the, our two favorite and you know we we did the Kumar cover with uh, my friend Kumar Polana um, from, from a lot of the Wes Anderson movies. And, um, and by then, you know, we were, we had like a lot of record labels, um, interested. And so we were getting tons of, you know, CDs to review. And, and thankfully at the time there was all those record stores that still existed that, you know, you can go and sell CDs. And so we, we would review, you know, most of them and give them to writers and, and then sell a lot of them to help pay for some of these expenses. Um, and, you know, we also at the time had grown to got distribution in Tower Records and um, in, in some of the Borders bookstores and, and just, you know, a lot of the mom and pop record stores. I'm out in Seattle, you know, area right now and, and uh, there's a record store, you know, there's still a couple like mom and pop indie stores and it just feels so, it feels both like so awesome to when you walk in there, just like smelling the place and like touching, you know, actual physical music. Uh, but then there's also that sense of like, holy shit, like, are, are they on the chopping block? You know, or how much longer is this going to even be around? We grew up, you know, it's even when cassettes were like the thing you would, you would unwrap a cassette from its shrink wrap and you'd smell it. At least I would. Yeah. I mean, there was something about, Oh, you know, with records. I mean, and that was also back in the day that artwork played such a huge role, you know, in, in the album that you would release. And so, you know, now it seems like, uh, I can't remember the last time I would just flip through, you know, records just to buy based on the artwork. You know, I used to, that was like a thing that we would all do. We would like, we didn't know who the fuck this band was, but like, damn, what a cool record cover. I'm just, I'm just going to buy it because it's so dope. The zine was my other piece other than the CD booklet or the vinyl. Yeah. I mean, it just, it was such a beautiful, uh, art form, you know, that was, it was a great piece of, you know, almost like documenting that era in a certain way, like that timepiece, uh, that you were, you put a stamp on that, on that era, you know, and, and I got so excited even just to like flip through my, you know, favorite zines and just, you know, while listening to music is exactly the way you would just like you described. I mean, and, and now it's different, you know, like, um, when I get excited about a piece of music, um, I still try and tend to put the headphones on and just sort of like lay on the floor and black out, you know, and just kind of take in the music, uh, because I miss kind of holding, 
you know, whether it was a, a record or, or a CD or, or tape or whatever it might be. And just like, yeah, fl- flipping through the artwork and, you know, always even looking at, you know, the liner notes of like, you know, who they're thanking and like, Oh, do I know that person? Like, Holy shit, there's my friend. And, oh, this person did the cover or, or wow, you know, like look at death cab now. And, you know, I remember working with those guys or being on tour with them or when they played my living room, you know, acoustically because they couldn't find a show in San Diego or, uh, you know, just, yeah, those are, those are definitely, uh, ways that you realize times changed. If you rattle off bands of today that I listen to new bands, they're blank inside my head. I don't remember the record cover. Yeah. Typically what I try and do is just go back to thinking about like the shows that I would see when I'm listening to those bands. Like I was listening to, you know, the breeders and, and Sonic youth the other day. And I was remembering when I saw the two of them together at the Academy in New York city, when I was in high school and, uh, I remember buying the poster of that show and immediately putting it on the back of my, you know, my door in my bedroom and like, you know, where it was next to all of my stickers on the wall and just flyers. And, um, and sometimes I would take those, remember those big cardboard cases that the CDs used to come in, of course. I, you know, I used to save all out of those just because I was in love with just the artwork. I, I think the very first one I ever bought was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. And how could you throw out something like that? I mean, so in San Diego, were you, when you didn't, when you realized that you weren't going to go to school, did, was that when you were like, well, I got to do something. I need to put on shows or what, what other, what other things happened since that? It was pretty quick that I realized that I couldn't go to school because that was a harsh reality uh, financially, I was, you know, pretty broke, um, by the time I landed there. And, um, you know, thankfully, like, and it was through, you know, my music, you know, friends, basically this network of people that you just become friends with around the world, uh, that, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend played in a band that knew this person that knew that person that had a friend that lived in San Diego that had a room available to rent. And that's the room I got to rent. And it was like 200 bucks a month at the time. It was 1998 that summer. I had just graduated from college, moved, you know, cross country, realized that shit, I can't afford to go to school. Well, I guess I'll just fuck off for a year. I'm in like paradise right now. Uh, and you know, and then a year from now, I'll be able to hopefully afford to have the in-state tuition uh, to go to grad school. And so I decided to, when I said, fuck off, I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? I didn't really know I was 22 uh, and I needed a job really bad. And so, um, another guy in the house got me a job at down the street, uh, at mailboxes, et cetera, which rest in peace also doesn't exist anymore. So yeah, I had to wear the khaki pants and the blue shirt and and the name tag. And, uh, you know, and it was so weird. I was like listening to my Sony, I was skating there back and forth because I I had no car. I had like nothing about my records and some, some clothes. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and it was one day I was there and I got some dumb assignment from my boss, like, you know, some, some ridiculous assignment to do some copying or whatever. And, and I'm doing it. I'm listening to uh, the Beach Boys, Wouldn't It Be Nice, which is one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite bands. And, uh, and it hit me at that point. I was like, whoa, what am I doing? Like, I just graduated with honors from college and I moved cross country and like, I'm working here and like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And so I like hit stop. I like went over to my boss and I said, you know, Hey John, like, thanks so much for giving me this opportunity. Uh, today's going to be my last day. I'm not going to work for you or anyone ever again. And it was at that moment that I decided that I'm going to just try and do my own thing and, uh, start my own business. And because the night before, uh, the band Jimmy world was, uh, in town and I had helped them put on a show, 
uh, at a club in San Diego that about maybe 25, 30 people showed up at. Um, and they were on Capitol records, but they just were not, you know, they hadn't broken mainstream yet. They were guys that I knew just through doing muddle and, you know, I, I, you know, thankful, like, you know, doing a zine, I'll tell you, you know, doing a zine isn't something that you make, you know, a lot of money with or anything, but man, it's really rewarding because you make a ton of friendships and you just get exposed to so many great people who are doing what they're meant to be doing in life. And, and they, this band was one of them. We had interviewed them, I think with the promise ring on tour in Philly one day and and uh and so we just sort of stayed in touch and when they came through san diego I, somehow i got reconnected with the gym and those guys and they're just the nicest guys from from arizona and uh, we put on a show they all came back to our house afterwards and and uh you know that was the night that you know jim was showing me some photographs and they was telling me that they were going to do an ep on on their friends label uh fuel by ramen records and which is the you know the drummer of less than Jake. And there's just so many connections there. Uh, and, and that's where Jim and I were just designing essentially his, his album, you know, cover indirectly that night. And then the next morning, you know, Capitol records calls me up on the phone and says, Hey, we love what you did with the album, uh, artwork, uh, now we just need to hire a publicist. Do you know one? And I think I was in my boxer shorts and a t-shirt. I was sharing a landline with like nine people that lived in this awesome house, uh, in San Diego. And for some reason I said, Oh, I do that. I had no real idea what being a publicist was. And, and that's where holiday matinee started. And then, uh, you know, I pretty much convinced my roommate to drive me to Borders bookstore where I planted myself in, you know, the magazine aisle and just read every single music, you know, lifestyle magazine and started writing in my notebook, the name of who was writing those reviews. And then they're in the masthead. I looked up the, their address and email and phone number. And I was building my database essentially in a spiral notebook and uh, trying to read any book I could on PR or just business or the industry. Cause I, I went to school for sociology. I, I was obsessed with understanding people and behavior and gender studies and, you know, social issues. And, um, you know, I just had a passion for music and, and indie rock and punk rock. And, um, you know, here was a band that I just really loved the people. And so when the opportunity arose to, you know, Hey, can I help promote these guys? Fuck? Yeah. You jump on those things. And, and that's where I blurted out. Yes. And then they said, great. How much do you charge? It's like, fuck, I don't know. I said 200 bucks, not knowing if that was like, per project, per week, per month or, or what. And they just said, great hired. And it was of course a flat fee of $200. And, uh, I hung up the phone and it was just like, shit, I gotta go figure out what PR is. And, and that's where it all started for holiday matinee was, uh, doing music PR. And what were some of the first wins for, uh, Jimmy? Did you work the 10 inch first? Yeah. So I worked the 10 inch and then that parlayed into, uh, into, uh, clarity. Um, and then, pretty much my track record has always been, I don't know why, but for some reason I would always really help the help bands at an indie level, get to that like borderline mainstream level. And then the, the record labels would call me up and be like, cool, thanks so much for helping. We're now going to go with like either in-house, you know, Atlantic records, this is, you know, PR firm or just a bigger PR firm. And, and at the time I was so pissed, you know, cause I was like super, you know, one man show or, or at the time, you know, maybe I had grown to a couple people working with me at the time, but you know, I had a full on ego. I was in my twenties. It's like, what, you're going to leave me. I just helped you. And now looking back, it's like, of course, like, they went to a much bigger company that actually knew what the fuck 
to do. And, you know, <laughs> but of course I was like pretty jaded and uh, pissed off at the time, but cause I was working with bands that I just truly loved and I thought they were my friends. And I think, you know, we, we had a friendship at the time and, uh, you know, so Jimmy at world, I was getting them, you know, placement in all of these great magazines from spin and Rolling Stone and, you know, and then, and then clarity hit and like, you know, holy shit, like the world went nuts over it and, you know, they blew up and that was just awesome to see, um, you know, now they're on tour headlining and they're, they're, uh, you know, making music videos and, and it was just great to see cause those guys deserve it. I mean, they, they worked their ass off for years and they're just good people. Um, and I love that you know, at the time, it's just impressive that Capitol was, was willing to take a chance and, and allow their band to just, you know, release something on an indie imprint, you know, or, or an indie label. Um, it was smart. It was really smart from a strategy standpoint for them. And, uh, you know, those songs, a couple of those jams were, ended up being, you know, on Clarity. So it was almost like a little, yep. a little teaser. I, I, yeah, now I got to figure out why some of those songs aren't streaming. I was actually working on that this week. I was starting to kind of like pick around and find out what's going on. Cause I want roller queen. I want some of those up. Oh man. Roller queen. Such a good jam. Such a good jam. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, you-, you know, cause you know, we also, you know, there's a band no knife that we worked with in, in San Diego that we later signed to, to better looking records and, and no knife and, and Jimmy world used to tour together all the time where Jimmy world used to open for no knife. And then boom, you know, it was amazing because Jimmy world just got so big and and then the cards flipped, you know, where No Knife would then open up at these massive venues for for Jimmy at World and go on tour with them. And and what I would do is just, you know, as like the, the the PR guy for for the bands was, I would try and go to as many shows as possible or hop in the vans of of these bands uh, and just go on tour with them. Mostly so I could really understand what it really is like to to be in that band's position because I was their, you know, spokesperson, essentially. I was the one that was trying to convince these writers to, to give coverage to these bands. And so I really wanted to, it was like, you know, now I can relate it back to like, you know, understanding your products, you know, really inside and out um, and understanding your user base, you know, when you're doing marketing. But at the time it was just like, you know, something that I thought, man, I've got to experience this. And I would call each writer in every single local market. And I would like, say hey man like we're gonna be you know i'm on tour with tristeza they're this amazing you know indie you know psychedelic indie band from from san diego that you got you got to check out like they're just making waves in san diego and we're going to be in chicago or we're going to be in you know new york or we're going to be in st louis um and i'm going to be with them i'd love to invite you out to the show come backstage meet the band come see the concert bring a friend and that's how i really built my uh my network of writers um and that's again like we talked about you know face to face we did that with muddle and i was sort of recreating that with with holiday matinee and that's where i made a lot of relationships both on like the side of pitching to writers but then also finding new clients by you know bands playing with other bands on tour and getting to work with you know saddle creek's entire roster of you know cursive and bright eyes and and the faint to you know uh working with braid you know out of uh, champaign illinois and um, a lot of the polyvinyl bands and then you know uh you know it was just like one thing led to another you know but but by hitting the road and sleeping on those floors and uh you know getting to like be with the band's firsthand experience and, and meeting the writers and meeting other bands that's really what uh you know helped grow that business um to to levels that you know today i kind of looked back and it was like man that was i can't even believe that i had 
you know, I just kind of went for it because I, I was in my twenties and I didn't have much responsibility, thankfully, uh, at the time it was just, I never wrote a business plan for holiday matinee, but you know, it's just sort of through, you know, really hard DIY ethics. Um, and, and a lot of just like, what can I learn from anyone who's willing to talk to me? Because I had no mentors. I had no one that I thought was doing it the way I wanted to do it. And, you know, we were like an indie PR firm, uh, for bands and we were also releasing our own CD compilations of all of our bands and no one had done that before. And they were like, what are you doing? PR firms don't do that. And I was like, well, fucking don't call me a PR firm. I don't care. We're doing this. Like we also would book holiday matinee tours and package bands together, which is where, you know, when I was working with death cab for cutie and the jealous sound and the Andors, we, 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 I basically like told all three bands like, Hey, let's, I'm going to book a whole holiday matinee tour. It's going to be a full U S tour. I'll cover the expenses and, and let's go hit the road. And, and we did. And it was one of the most fun, you know, events possible, but it really helped elevate all those bands um, and that's when death cab was starting to blow up anyways. And they had just put in so much great work on their own and, um, doing PR for them was, was pretty easy because it was like, you know, a band that was just on the verge of breaking. It was really exciting. Well, what's cool about that. And I think the, the booking, the tour, this, the CD comps, that's getting you outside of the bubble. That's not just you talking to the writers. That's a kid like me is seeing the tour flyer or the tour poster and being like, what's that? That's cool. I like all those bands. And then you're sort of seeing it on the CD comp. You're like, oh, great. I get to listen to it. It's all those different little – it's almost like – I mean you were doing advertising. You're doing like – you you know, while you were doing the marketing, it was like a full – it seemed like you saw it in different places. Especially, I, I definitely did back then. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, And it was partly because I, I really – came to realize that I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Like I loved, I, you know, I came to the realization like pretty early on that I was a shitty musician. You know, I tried that in high school and I played in some punk rock bands and in college as well. And, and like, you know, we had fun and we, we toured and I got that exposure. Um, but I was never very good. I wasn't a good drummer. Um, and I always admired, you know, it was very easy for me to see that that wasn't what I was meant to be doing, but I found much more comfort in actually being behind the scenes and helping others who are, who are really good and, you know, who are meant to be doing that for a living and trying to help them make a career out of it. And, and I did love the advertising part of it. I loved, you know, always, like I mentioned, having posters on my walls and like looking at the artwork and smelling the records. And, you know, this is all the things that I would bring into the business. So when we go on tour, I would not only bring bands with me, but I would bring local artists or, you know, photographers who can then also show their work uh, alongside the band's merchandise on the walls and, and sell that stuff. And just, you know, almost like a mini traveling flea market of just like different vendors and, you know, art culture and just all sorts of different, you know, mediums uh, packaged together and it worked. And, and, you know, that's why I made like holiday matinee, you know, posters for, you know, the show that were, you know, I thought designed really well and, you know, just thinking about uh, the, the artwork and, you know, what cities we're going to and being respectful to that and just trying to think about, you know, the tour dates and, and the routing and um, just capturing footage of all that stuff. And so, you know, making, you know, documentaries when, you know, we're on the road and, and being able to put that back out there. And, and this is pre YouTube and pre Vimeo and like, fuck, I had, you know, no idea that that was going to explode and, um, and open up such an amazing resource. Uh, but it was a lot harder to, to edit that shit back then. And, um, 
but you know that was just i always gravitated towards uh music documentaries and so i always wanted to like sort of capture you know the process of what we were doing along the way and and that was really fun oh hell yeah so how did you meet how did you meet paul fisher who you co-founded better looking with was it a kxlu no this is this is probably after his time there um you know paul and i met just um i was doing muddle with ron and uh you know paul was working at crank records and one of the labels that we just absolutely loved and paul was our sort of go-to contact there for you know they were buying ads in our zine and every time i talked to this guy he was just so nice and you know you couldn't meet a person who had anything bad to say about this guy um, still and if you did we we would we would fight them to this day yeah. uh, and so, there's uh, no one on earth you know, <laughs> totally um and he and I just sort of developed a friendship through that, like, uh, you know, constantly emailing back and forth. He would send us records and, um, you know, everything that they had done, we just loved. And he was, he was also fascinated with like the music industry and the business side of things. And I had this crazy idea that my, our buddy, Nate, who was one of our awesome photographers, uh, from college, uh, working on muddle, he and I went to the West coast and we decided to like do a mini muddle tour like who who does a tour with a fanzine like it was unheard of but we were like we're gonna do this and we're gonna go visit um instead of playing shows because we're not a band we're gonna go visit the record labels that we that buy ads with us that we've been talking to these people for for a couple years now and so we went to you know crank records in la and we went to uh fat records in in san francisco in the bay area and like you know we were like nate was taking photos of our visit and we were getting to meet like you know the people that we were buying ads from us and just like getting to see the, how the label each label was being run. And, and it was just a great experience. And so when we were in LA, you know, that's when Paul and I got to finally meet, you know, in person and we just, we just hit it off really well and stayed in touch. And then by the time I moved to the West coast, he was, you know, I was like, Hey, and now I'm down in San Diego, I'm doing holiday matinee. And, uh, he had a friend, uh, named Michelle who was still in school that was going to be down in San Diego, uh, that needed an internship. And I was like, Oh fuck, that sounds great. I could totally use an intern for Holly matinee. And so she became my first employee and I was, you know, signing her paperwork for her school. The, and, uh, it was in my kitchen, you know, I had like a Fisher price desk for her. Um, and she was awesome. And she stayed with me for years, um, uh, through the ranks, but Paul and I, I think it was in 1999 basically decided, you know, uh, God, we know a lot, we equally, you know, respectively know a ton of people in the music industry and a lot of bands and record labels, you know, why don't we just start a record label? And we were like, that's probably the dumbest idea. Let's do it. And, uh, so we did, uh, and that's where we started, uh, better looking records and the Gloria record was our, our, you know, uh, colored vinyl was our first, uh, release around that same time I was, uh, on tour with Tristeza, uh, on a U.S. tour and we were, they were playing, at, uh, in Austin at South by Southwest, um, and this is like, I remember the time when, uh, I think I was at Emo's in, in South by, and, uh, I met Rob from Saddle Creek. He was just starting his label and, uh, he was asking questions about how we do it. And, and, um, I was a huge cursive fan and I loved Tim Kasher. And when I was actually moving cross country and on that drive with my roommate, we were in Chicago one night on the way to, from going from East to West. And I saw a flyer for a, a show that said cursive last show ever. And it was the day after, 
that we were there. And I was like, oh man, I told my, my, the guy who was driving me, uh, my roommate, Eric, at the time, I was like, hey man, do you mind if we stay in Chicago one more day? We, we've got to be the guys that convince this band not to break up. And he was like, awesome, let's do it. And so we stayed and we got to the, to the venue super early. I think it was at the Fireside Bowl, this awesome uh, bowling alley that they also had shows at in Chicago. And we wound up meeting up with the whole band at like, you know, barbecue place uh, right beforehand. And, and basically it was like, you guys cannot break up. Like you guys are too good. You're awesome. We already interviewed them for Muddle. And so we sort of knew them, but now we got to meet them in person and like Tim Kasher was just so fucking, all those guys were so nice, but they were like, yo, so-and-so's going to law school. Like it's happening. Uh, there's nothing you can do. So we went to the show and then they were invited us to follow them back to, uh, Nebraska and, uh, to, to their home to, so we can crash there as we head out West. So we followed them and Tim gave us a whole tour of, um, uh, of where the whole Saddle Creek uh, crew was, you know, in that, in their hometown. And, uh, you know, we just talked to him for a long time and that's where Tim started telling me that he was working on a side project called the good life. And at the time it had a different name. And then fast forward to like a year later when I'm in South by Southwest in Austin, I meet up with Tim again, he's there. And he and I went to a tamale place on sixth street and he gave me a cassette of his demos and I didn't even hear it. Uh, he, he literally just handed me this cassette of his demos and I, you know, he knew that Paul and I had just had started better looking records. And we basically just said, we will sign you. We will put out this album without even listening to it because we just lo love this guy so much. And that later became, uh, you know, the good life Novena on a Nocturne uh, album and uh, still one of my favorite records to date. Uh, and just such a nice dude. And thankfully curses back together and killing it. And, uh, yeah, man. So like the, those are the days that like, you know, based on these friendships and just like the passion and beliefs that we had in people, that's, you know, some of the ways we signed bands and we had no contracts, you know, at the time it was just, you know, 50, 50 deals. And, um, we would do everything possible. Like holiday matinee would be on the hook for, for the PR and, Paul was so good at the business side and the marketing side from his experience at crank records. He had such great insight into, you know, how to get distribution. And he literally one hand man, uh, you know, one man army just hooked up, you know, distribution for us through all of his contacts. And then later got into the admin game, uh, for helping bands with, you know, administering their publishing as well. But that's really the, the legacy of, of BLR. And, um, you know, we went on to sign lots of different bands from, you know, the States and even, uh, you know, a band from Australia that we loved and, uh, you know, all over Europe. And, and uh, you yeah, know, we still have it today. I know it's rad. I mean, it's still technically going. He, Paul released a solo record that I released in 01 that was just on CD. There was no streaming back then. No, I didn't. And uh, he helped me do that. So it's technically not, you know, better looking, but he used the same channels that he had to be able to get it up there, which was awesome. And that's just a testament to who this guy is. Like he would just, you know, help anyone, you know, do what they really want to do. And, um, you know, and that's the beauty of, I think, you know, getting involved in something like, you know, punk rock or indie rock, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But like, you know, that indie scene um, was just a shared, you know, uh, understanding of trying to help people out. And, and that's really what it was. And it was, it was the music industry that, that brought us all together. And, and he's a guy that just continues to still use, you know, everything he's learned and his connections to help others. And it's just uh, something to applaud. 
Yeah, and then so everybody grows up, everybody moves out of punk rock, and you know you got to move on in your life, and you you can still do it forever, but you've you know, got to put uh, you got to put a house over your, or your roof over your head, uh, food on the table. You start having families. What kind of stuff happened for you since then? I know that there was you'd you'd uh, come back to, to New York working in with brands and then doing sort of creative work. Like how is um, been in that world but still trying to you've got this you've got the mindset of the DIY in your head hardwired how has that been in those other worlds you know for me it's been great like uh you know I'm just you know I'm thankful I've, I've been given these opportunities like all of the all the years I spent doing holiday matinee which was about 12 years in San Diego I mean I made so many fucking mistakes and and there were so many learning learning moments and teachable moments that I now take with me into, you know, the corporate world or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, you're right. Like it's totally hardwired in me. And that's part of what's made me, you know, successful in that world is that I come with this, uh, you know, background of experience and multiple experiences, uh, that I can bring to these worlds and, and sort of inject that sort of DIY punk rock mentality of my old, you know, self into, you know, my new, you know, landscape. And, and that's been so fun. And I've literally made a career out of it. You know, uh, I did pack up, you know, from San Diego and after 12 years, I, I moved to back to New York just to be closer to my family. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to keep holiday matinee and put it on a sort of like a hobby side. And at the time I had an amazing partner, uh, um, who's still with me named Kieran, uh, Umapathy, and, uh, he's out in Oakland and he's been just like essentially like running holiday matinees blog for, for years now. And still every single month we put together a, a, a mixtape that's still on there, uh, because we just love that stuff. Um, but in terms of like, you know, my full-time gig, uh, yeah, you know, I've gone through and just kind of went back to, you know, the things that I love, which is like, you know, advertising, marketing and, uh, art and, and music kind of like bringing all that together and, and live experiences. So I found a really awesome, uh, experiential agency and got to understand like what that was, that world was like, and it was a creative for coming up with live experiences and, and then moving over to a big PR firm, like one of the world's largest independently owned uh, PR firm named Edelman. And that was an incredible experience, such good people to see what, how PR, uh, actually operates at a, you know, global scale and, and one with major brands and, you know, what that entails and then how I can bring my aesthetic into that fold. Uh, and then I made the leap to probably the, the final piece that I just hadn't really, uh, had exposure to that. I really just wanted to, um, put myself in probably the most uncomfortable position possible. And so I accepted a role at Microsoft, um, and, uh, you know, I've never really been a fan of the brand and that's kind of what I wanted to go in and, and understand to see how someone like that operates and at that scale. And, um, and the people here are, are just, uh, incredibly smart and I get to work on, you know, future technology and, and experiences, um, that'll have just a, a global impact. And so, you know, how do you turn that down? And, but to, to answer your question, you know, here I am at one of probably like the five biggest companies in the world, um, and I still bring and interject, uh, my, my punk rock, you know, roots into what I'm doing. And so 
uh, you know, I'd start up little uh, fanzines at work here, even that just uh, enable people to to read about uh, our coworkers and uh, side hustles, and um, you know, interview about ten people and then all about their side hustle and just printed on a physical, you know, little uh, half print magazine format and, um, always get, get the company to pay for it now. And, um, you know, and still trying to, you know, do lots of posters and, uh, bring, you know, music into the fold wherever I can and into our videos and expose people that way. So hell yeah, man, it's a, it's totally part of my DNA and it's something that, um, I actually think has been, uh, a selling point for, for people at these larger companies that are like, wow, this guy's got a really unique perspective, um, based on his experiences. And, um, you know, and it's crazy because then I meet people that are like, find out that I managed, you know, the album leaf for, for many years and toured with Jimmy and, you know, in Iceland and, and, uh, they're just like, wow, man, like, what is this world that you come from? Uh, tell us more. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, or I'm following, you know, you on Instagram and see you fucking post about, uh, Jimmy world, uh, unboxing. And it just brings me back, you know? So, uh, so yeah, still with me, you know, I just have a, a different title and, uh, you know, um, you know, less hair, but, uh, I still, uh, you know, very much a part of who I am. What do you want to do next? I really want to get back into trying to, to do more of what I used to do. Um, and, and that doesn't mean changing careers. Uh, you know, sure. I'll probably change, you know, companies you know, at some point in, uh, in time, but, um, um, but I really want to try and find a way to, to bring back more of those, like, uh, you know, publishing more, uh, content, you know, getting more physical zines out into the world. Uh, you know, podcasting sounds really fun. Uh, you know, one of my best friends, Taj Reed and I, who, who are also like creative partners for, for years now. And he, he had an awesome indie, um, travel company called We Jet Set. And he and I've been working together for years and we're, you know, now we just kind of go from company to company together. Uh, he's a former DJ as well. And, um, you know, we just talk all the time about, man, we just got to get back into doing more of these things, like hitting the road more, uh, creating more zines, more content, podcasts, uh, you know, all that fun stuff. So I really, I think the next thing is to, to put together, um, either a book, uh, on like the, the life we've, we've led and hope that it can inspire people, uh, and, uh, or maybe create some more, uh, um, you know, short form, you know, mini documentary series about people that we just admire, um, and just sort of spread some more positivity into the world. You know, what would be really fun is, uh, I should, I should reach out to Ron and say, you know, we should just resurrect muddle for one more issue and interview all of these bands like that we love, like, and where are they now kind of, uh, scenario. I think a lot of, you know, we interviewed Jawbreaker and now look, they're back together doing a movie tour and, and all this stuff. And I just found my photos. Um, uh, I found a bunch of old photos just recently in a box that I, that I just dug out. And one of them is the, of the night that we drove from Ithaca, New York to, to, the, uh, forget what Bard college, maybe it was, uh, to go see Jawbreaker and interview them there. Um, and Blake, Blake had the set list written in Sharpie marker on his arm. Um, and it's the whole picture Ron's in it. I'll send you, uh, I'll send it to you, uh, after this. It's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, like you said, uh, life's definitely, uh, different now. Um, you know, I've got a family and a kid and, 
Uh, and so, yeah, finding time is, is really the hardest thing. And that's something I'm trying to commit to, to doing to, to resurrect some of these ideas and, and getting some of this, these projects out there. But um, it'll probably be slow going. But, um, you know, doing stuff like this is, is, is great. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com